0: Welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dillon-Thomas, and today we are going to talk about the overconfidence effect. So um, think about this, 93% of American drivers rate themselves as better than the medium. 68% of the faculty at the University of Nebraska rate themselves in the top 25% for teaching ability. So um, all these math impossibilities come from the overconfidence effect, the fact that we think we are better than we are at things. Um, And, uh, you know, generally speaking, if you ask people to sort of rate their ability to answer certain questions, um, and if they say that they're, you know, 100% confident about their answers, like on a spelling test or something, um, they will usually actually be 80% accurate. Um, so we're, we're generally not good at estimating just how good we are at stuff. Um, and this effect feeds into a lot of different biases we've talked about before, like the illusion of control, where we think we have control over things that we simply don't or can't. Uh, this is another one that lends into the planning fallacy. We talked last time about how the optimism bias kind of influences the planning fallacy and how we you know, think we can get things done faster than we actually can. Overconfidence also feeds into that. Um, And the sunk cost fallacy we've talked about where people will just keep doing something over and over again even though it isn't working because they're kind of overconfident in their ability to continue with it. So you'll see strikes that last longer because both the union and management believe they can hold out longer or wars that get started because one army thinks that they have a better army than they actually do. Um, Or lawsuits that go on forever because people think that, you know, they're they're overconfident in their ability to win. So they, you know, never settle. So there is, uh, you know, an experiment where you can give people, you know, even more information about something. Um, and their confidence will go up even if their accuracy doesn't. Uh, and, you know, this sort of just goes to show that it isn't a question of how much information you have about the thing. It's how much information you think you have, right? So if you think you're going to do um, well on a test and um, – or I think the actual experiment was around case studies and how, you know, well, they um, understood the case study. Um, the, the more information they gave them about the case study – they grew more confident that they could, you know, answer questions about it, but their actual accuracy didn't go up at all. Um, and, uh, this is something that apparently, um, experts suffer from, uh, as much as like lay people. Right. So, uh, the only difference between like, you know, the overestimation of a lay person and the overestimation of an expert is the expert has, you know, more confidence in their overestimation. Um, they're both, their, the accuracy, I should say, their the accuracy and their answer tends to be, you know, the same. If it's like asking an economist, you know, where will oil prices be five years from now? Their estimates tend not to be that much better than like, you know, say, uh, a, a zookeeper. It's, uh, one of the articles I read sort of made that comparison, but the confidence that the, um, the economists have is higher. Um, so anyway, being an expert doesn't really save you from this. Um, there's an interesting variation on this with Google. Um, there's an episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast that talks about the search effect. And it's basically a study they've done where they looked at people who, um, given the ability to actually use Google to find answers, suddenly estimate themselves as better experts in uh, asking answering questions like, say, about the weather um, than they would otherwise. And the weird thing is, you know, even if, you um, tell them you won't be able to access Google when you answer these questions. Like, let's say that I set up an experiment where um, I ask people to answer questions about the weather um, and ask them how well they think they'll do. And one group, you know, has access to uh, Google and then the other, you know, doesn't. The ones who sort of have access to Google think they're going to do better. Um, But then afterwards, they sort of rate themselves as being smarter about the weather And uh, even if you sort of tell them, okay, well, what if you didn't have access to the internet? Do you still think you're smarter? And they say yes anyway. That's the part that blew my mind was that I get people feeling more confident in their abilities when they have access to, you know, the body of knowledge that is the internet. But even if you take that away, they still think just because of their exposure, their previous exposure to the internet and that ability to have that sort of extra brain that that is somehow going to persist even when they don't have access. That's the part I don't get, but it's a real thing. Um, But it's yet another kind of manifestation, more modern manifestation of the overconfidence effect. Um, Men tend to suffer from this more than women. I don't know that I find that that surprising. Um, And uh, presumably Americans suffer more from this because there's this whole thing where we tend to do more poorly from a student perspective, school perspective, on almost every sort of measure you can think of than other countries, except when it comes to confidence. We are more confident in our ability than other uh, countries' students are in their abilities um and you can sort of start to see you know why this is you know overconfidence effect uh tends to be something we get rewarded for um in this country and in others really uh, if you think about politics sort of the most confident seeming candidate tends to do better um we kind of reward people for their overconfidence and you know similar to what happens with the optimism bias um if you don't have some degree of this bias, you don't you don't really get things like a healthy economy. There has to be some disagreement, like with the stock market, around my confidence about you know the value of this stock versus your confidence. If there's no disagreement there, the stock market doesn't move at all. Um, we have we kind of have to be able to disagree about the value of things in order to move an economy forward, um, or to decide to invest money. Um, and it, there is a degree to which you know this tends to be limited to what appear to be. A uh, simple or easy or not super complicated task. If you ask people about heart surgery, they will definitely say, "No, I don't think I can handle that." Like super difficult task, it tends to reverse itself, and we tend to think we'll be worse at it than other people. So it isn't completely irrational, but it is still overrepresenting yourself for just how much of a badass you really are. Um, so anyway kind of another iteration of the optimism bias. Um, I am going to be going on a break. Um, this coming week coming up, we're not going to have an episode because I will be in Copenhagen, um, at the UX Copenhagen conference. Um, and I actually will probably be recording a couple podcasts for the conference while I'm out there, but, um, but I won't be able to record this podcast. We're going to take a break from that, and then we'll come back the week after. Um, but if you are in Copenhagen, please feel free to check out the conference. I uh, would love to, to meet you. And um, that is all for this week for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dillon Thomas, and we will talk next time.